Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's a Wednesday afternoon, and I'm in between classes, so as before, I'll try to hop around and be able to send this out so it can reach people overseas in enough time before Shabbos and all that. Tomorrow, I'll have too many classes back-to-back. Um, today, <clears throat> I'm talking about the Parsha of, uh, what is it, Kisava, I guess. And uh, today's uh, Parsha podcast is being sponsored uh, very nicely by Nehemi uh, Newman from uh, Kingston, Pennsylvania. Writes to me that he's in a buddy Chabad community. This is near Wilkesbury, and uh, the nicest part is, he said not only he likes history and listening, but so do his kids who are eleven and twelve years old. I'm uh, pretty amazed by that. <laughs> Those are two bright kids. If if this is what they find interesting, you know, it's not the American way for a kid to be intellectual. <laughs> right? Uh, who is it, President Ford? They say you can't uh, play ball and chew gum at the same time. These kids are different. Um, but anyway, I'm very grateful, and of course, we are looking always for people, I don't, you know, I don't have anybody for next week to sponsor the podcast, hopefully, um, by next week, people step forward, always appreciate it. I would also mention that, um, as I said the other day, I'm putting out, uh, working on my next lecture series, the one I do every winter, and uh, as I said before, Basically, the way it evolved is every winter I put about 10, between 10 and 20 talks on um, history of Israel and the Jewish people. Primarily Israel um, in all different aspects and also, you might say, Jewish people around the world. <clears throat> and uh, it's more or less four years at a shot. And so it gives us time to put a lot under the microscope and uh, we all have fun. This year I'm doing the mid-1980s, 84 to 88. And uh, that's my plan. It's called Roller Coaster, The State of Israel and Jewish People in the Mid-80s. And I have 15 talks scheduled right now. Sometimes it morphs into its own. When you start one, then it turns out you need two parts or whatever. But as I plan it right now, it should be 15 Saturday nights. Uh, and Baruch Hashem, I have like 11 covered, 11 sponsored. So I still need four um, sponsors for the last four lectures or maybe... Two people do it. Sometimes, you know, two people do half. You know what I mean? In other words, instead of one single lecture, two people do half of one lecture. And all together equals one. But that's what I'm looking at. So I do hope that um, some people will be inspired by this to want to help out. Because that's what we need to want to make these series work. Um, so, basically, thank you to all the sponsors. Now, let me turn my attention to the Parsha here. Uh, what is it this week? It's Kisavo, as we all know. It's a Tochacha. There's a lot in Kisavo, but you know, I'm just sitting here and opening the Chumash and I'm talking to you. The first thing that comes to mind, obviously, is a Tochacha. And the vicious Tochacha, you know, the Gemara says the one in the Bayekra is less vicious than the one in, um, in what do you call it, in Kisavo. It's a Gemara McGill, isn't it? And uh, I think. And, the, uh, and that's because God pronounced 
the one in uh, Vallecro and got into softy. Uh, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu, however, was a human being, and he pronounced the one in um, in Dvarim, and a human beings are worse than God. That's the way it goes. Didn't King David say famously, Niplo Nabiyat Hashem, Uviyat Odom al Apollo? What does that mean? You know, Tabonjalam is a softy, as a, as, a, as a basic part of our understanding of God. Not that you can understand God, but, you know, to the degree that you can. Uh, human beings are unbelievably cruel. <laughs> okay? Uh, this we all know. Nipple of Hashem, Adam al Apollo. So, Peter, as it may, it's still very, very interesting. Uh, now, I'm flipping the pages here. Now, the Tocha is very long, and over the course of years, uh, as one grows older, as one matures, you want to view, in my, this is all my opinion, all I'm giving you is my opinion. <clears throat> then um, you're going to view this in different ways. A person in his 20s reading the Tocha, you know, doesn't look at the same way as a person in his 50s, let's say, and Kalvachum is an older person. Now, uh, as we all know, the basic theme of the Torah is the Jewish history will be replete with misfortune. Get over it. Um, don't say, you know, God didn't do the Holocaust or God didn't do the, this, that, and the other. And it's all foretold. You understand? And without getting into the nitty-gritty theological, eh, 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 you know, who's at fault, it's going to happen. Uh, when the Jewish people do this wrong or that wrong, bad stuff is going to happen. And do we, the generation... After the Holocaust, need to be reminded of this, obviously. Now, um, problem, of course, is you don't know exactly what the sin is, you know. But one thing is clear, I, mean, I just want to be very clear about this, even though it's not PC. The, the teaching of the Torah is any misfortune happens to the Jewish people is a punishment for something they did wrong. Now, we don't know what they did wrong. So if you something like the Holocaust, everybody and his brother, every time Dick and Harry will, will come up with a reason, which doesn't apply to them, which applies to someone else. You know, the Jews in Europe did this, the Jews in Europe did that, and so on and so forth. And if you're a Frummy, you'll give a Frum interpretation, you know what I mean? Uh, they, they, they didn't wear a yarmulke or something like that. If you're a non frum you'll give a non frum interpretation. It's a guess. Nobody, we don't have any prophets today. That's why I never liked the uh, book from Rabbi Victor Miller and others, try to figure out what all the reason for the Holocaust. Uh, frankly, I can't stand it. Um, but, you know, it's a natural uh, reaction. And uh, it's a natural reaction because... What the Chumash is telling you is, when bad stuff happens, happens for a reason. Hashem makes it happen. Now, in the case of Kisavo, it's so detailed. You know what I'm saying? It's so detailed. And uh, in exquisitely crucial, uh, excruciating detail. And every year, because of time elements, uh, you know, I have things to do and you have things to do. So, most of us don't have the opportunity or in our schedule, we, perhaps this is wrong, but we don't pay for a detailed reading of the entire Parshas at Shavuah with all the Mepharshim and so on and so forth. That's the right way to go. But in, let's be real. I ain't got the time. You don't have the time because you have a lot of things to do. Now, uh, including learning or whatever. Now, uh, therefore you have to sort of like single shoot. You know what I mean? You have to zero in on a point or two points or five points or whatever. So, <clears throat> what's striking me this year, since you and I are living in a time when things are not going great in America and I would say around the world, in terms of anti-Semitism, is a recrudescence, is a revival of the anti-Semitism. So, one of the things you see, hang on, I'm just opening the smack in the middle of the page in front of me, and one of the things it says over there is that um, God will really punish you. 
God will scatter you into gullus, one end of the earth to the other. That certainly happened. America, for example, is Kitsei Ha'aris, compared to Israel, is beyond the Atlantic Ocean. If you want to be really, really fancy, fancy, you say America's um, Kitsei Ha'aris from Israel on both sides. Now, as it goes across the Atlantic Ocean, if you go, how's it go to the west? And if it's across the Pacific Ocean, you go from Israel to the east. I'm not into that. But anyway, um, you'll be scattered. And that goof will be part of the punishment of the Tochachah. You go into Golis. Here's the interesting thing. And when you're in these foreign lands, then you'll, find, you'll worship other gods or other deities. You know, things that you didn't know. Uh, but let's put it this way. There'll be things that aren't part of the past Jewish experience, but you will do them anyway. Obviously, to kiss up to the guy. So part of the Tocha is you'll go into exile and you will seek to be accepted in the lands of the exile. And the way you'll try to do that is by uh, following what the other people say, you know, and uh, or what they do. And I'll prove this in a second. And uh, you, it, it'll end up that you'll have a different faith or something along those lines. And those you'll assimilate. Or you will seek to. Right? So, so it's not simply, you know, you'll lose your homeland. And you'll be strangers in a foreign land. Actually, it's different. You lose your homeland and you will seek to find a new ha- homeland. In other words, you'll seek to make yourselves comfortable in the lands of your diaspora. Which is normal. Now, from a strictly from point of view, it's not normal. Any Jew, I'm serious, this is just heavy stuff I'm talking about here. The Jewish religion officially is, the Torah's religion officially is, that a Jew, even if he's living in another country like America or anywhere else, has to feel a stranger. You know, it's a, a stranger. Um, which is why uh, my kid sent me the thing, I'm sure you saw this a, a week or two ago, three ago. Somebody said, was it Shweki or something like that? It was all over the internet. Made a song, We Love America. And I get it. And I, I don't deprecate the sentiment in the sense that Jews have had a good America. I'm, I'm speaking to a crowd that lives in the USA. Or probably Israelis who, who were born here. And uh, they do have it very good. No question about it. But on the other hand, it's just something wrong. And I'm a patriotic person. Seriously, you know. Even though I know American history probably better than most, and, the, and and like every country in the world that ever existed, including the Jews, there's good and bad. It's good and bad. But Rove is good, particularly from the Jewish point of view. Even though you could argue with me and say, well, what about the six million in World War II and Roosevelt? Granted, that that's a fact. You're right about that. But taking the whole thing into account, it's good. Still, there's something wrong with a from person creating a from song, saying, I love America, we love America, it's wonderful. And I, I understand... The culture conflict that's raging in this country, and the right and the left and all this stuff, I understand that. And I do understand why Jews should be patriotic in the sense of being loyal to the country, which it should be, like the prophet Jeremiah said long ago. But to say, I love it here, it's, it's, it goes against the grain of the fact that a Jew should say, this is a nice place to stay, but, you know, the the the, the real country is there, it's Israel. Uh, let me get this straight. Even the Satan Rebbe held this way. He may not hold the Medinat Yisrael, 
but he he believes the Mashiach will come tomorrow or something like that, and then it'll be the country. So however you define it. So it's just interesting. Again, I realize the, re- pe- the reason people make these songs, but there's something that sticks in the throat, at least to me. Now, my kids thought I'm nuts, <laughs> right? They said, when did you become like this? Uh, they don't have that sensibility. You understand? Uh, that, that, that's what I derive from this. Uh, now, here's the point. So, so you'll go to another country and you'll worship the gods and you worship the values there. It's not just you'll try to blend in, you'll adopt their values. Hear what I just said? That's a strong language. It doesn't say you'll come there and you'll settle down and you'll prosper and, you know, that kind of stuff, and you'll forget Eretz Yisrael. It doesn't use those words. It says you'll come there and you'll worship their values, they'll worship other gods. Now, um, what does the next Pusik say? It will not work. It won't work. You will not find Mirgoa. You will not find rest and calm in this land. So that shows you, this is Psukim 64 and 65 of chapter 29 in um, Dvarim, in Kisavo. Again, it's chapter 29, 64 and 65. Why did they come and worship other gods? They were looking for Mirgoa. They were looking for Manochel Kafraglecha. It's the most understandable sentiment in the world. Living in this country, I don't want to make waves. I don't want to cause anti-Semitism, as the expression goes. And so I try to go along as much as I can. Even to the point of Avada Tosham, Elohim Acherib, and so on and so forth. Now, by the way, it doesn't say there that you will... I mean, this is very interesting to me. It doesn't say that you'll stop being Jewish. But rather, it'd be some kind of a syncretism, which is much what's happened. You worship Judaism, but you also worship the Eighth of Heaven. Right? You worship Judaism or Eighth of Heaven. Uh, the American Jews, the Jews in Western Europe and in other countries like that, generally speaking, they didn't exactly dropping Jewish. Some did, you know, and some are anti-Semitic nowadays. These are Jews or anti-Israel, whatever. That's true, no question about it. You know, this is certainly coming to the fore with all these anti-Israel types who are joining the Black Lives Matter and all these other uh, movements that are, are coming up in this crazy year of 2020. Um, it's true, but uh, you'll worship both. So it's sort, of, sort of like Elion Novi said back at the Mount Carmel, don't try to be syncretistic. Don't try to be Jewish plus pagan at the same time. Make up your mind. So the attempt to find, uh, much like say, acceptance and ease won't work. So part of the Tocha is you will not find rest and security among the Goyim, uh, the, this nation that you, Goyim Mohem, the countries that you're uh, assimilating to. And you won't find Manoach Lekafraglecha. It's an interesting place. The Jew is wandering from country to country. Country to country. You and I have lived in a time, I'm probably a little older than many of you listening, not much. Uh, we lived in a time, Baruch Hashem has been after the Holocaust, but not too long ago, 100 years ago, 90 years ago, the Jews went from country to country. This country kicked them out. They tried to get another country. And in the 1930s and 40s, it was terrible. There were ships on the high seas. The Jews were running away from one place to the other, and nobody would take them in, and they died at sea, or the ship sank in the Black Sea, or in the harbor of Haifa, and all these other terrible situations. Wouldn't let them into America, as many people know. And uh, therefore, all they're looking is Monoch Kafra Glecho. So the Jew was saying, listen, I wandered from here, I wandered from there. I'll give you an example. Somebody ran away from uh, Germany, from Hitler. Let's say, for example, ended up in England. 
So he said, like this, all I want is to have a rest a manocha kafra glaim. <laughs> and uh no, if you do the Avodah Hashem Lahim Achim, you won't find a Manoch Lekafra Glaim. It's very, very interesting that in that country where you seek to find uh, a rest, understandably so, and a respite and security, God will... In other words, you want to have, what's the right word, psychological ease. I don't, I don't mean in a bad way. You know, you want, you want to have, you want to breathe, so to speak. You want... A psychologically secure area. Imagine somebody who fled the Holocaust, you know, something like that. Perhaps with Soviet Jews, I don't know. Um, so all you want is, you know, just uh, not to be stressed. The opposite, you'll get stressed. Uh, you'll have a trembling heart. I don't even know how to translate right? Uh, your eyes are, 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 are schwacht up with... with uh... Sorry about that, I messed up uh, and enclosed my phone. Uh, but I was saying, kill you and I am close nefesh. Your your eyes die from anguish. You you see people dying. You see bad things, and you know your eyes are clouded up with depression. Davo nefesh. It's this very uh, rich Hebrew. Levra goes kill you and I am and Davo nefesh. But they're all terror and 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 uh, misery and things. In other words, the exact opposite of what you fled to that country for, the place that God scattered you, and. What he's talking about, of course, is like this. Uh, you'll try to worship their gods. It'll generate a anti-Semitism. Okay? Because uh, this is what happens in every country. Uh, Jews often ask the question, you know, why is it there's so much anti-Semitism everywhere? Well, you know, Herzl himself said it. We, we cause it. We bring it on. Um, for every Jew that acts the right way and makes a kiddush Hashem, there's more than one <laughs> that does the opposite. And we're all, you know, in the eyes of our enemies. And, uh, you know, what can I tell you? I have students and friends that are in many professions, and they see a lot of bad stuff going on in the front communities, which is the type of thing that can cause a lot of anti-Semitism, and the, peop- and the perpetrators don't care. Right? They just don't care. And so why are we like that? Well, maybe God created us that way. That's what you, Moshe Rabbeinu is saying over here. You'll never find an ease or a rest in another country because you're you're carrying the seeds of anti-Semitism with you. Okay? And the result will be you'll be seized with a terror. Now this is what happened in Germany. This is what happened in some of the Arab countries. Uh, it's starting to happen here. I don't want to sound over-alarmist because I don't. But, you know, you see some of the nutty things that are going on with these rioters in the different cities, and you say, oh my goodness, you know, it hasn't hit the Jewish community yet. Well, sooner or later, that kind of stuff is going to go there, and what, what, what's going to happen? We have armed uh, fighting over here, and uh, none of the presidential candidates really addressing this effectively. Now, I'm actually a conspiracy theorist. I think this has all been uh, uh, stirred up by the Russians and the Chinese, but if I told it to people that think I'm crazy, so I won't t- tell it. Uh, but that's what my uh, understanding is. Doesn't matter, does it? Uh, all we know is you see through the terror. Your life is hanging on a string. And so basically, you're afraid to open the the, the internet and say, oh, "What happened now?" Uh, from two two points of view, one is what kind of hell Hashem did somebody make that'll cause anti-Semitism? And number two, what are these anti-Semites doing? Right? Uh, think of the growing power 
of the BDS and that sort of thing going on in America. You can't deny it. So an article on the internet today who says, even if Biden wins, he'll be the last Democrat that's pro-Israel. I don't know if it's true or not, but uh, it's possible an Arab wrote it. No, it's, it's, it's quite possible. So you don't find the Manoch Lekafra Glecha, which is ultimately what the whole world is looking for. The Jews who live in Israel, you know, the Jews who live today in Israel, they want Manoch Lekafra Glecha. Um, you can't say Israel's a secure place either. Uh, they'll get angry for saying that, you know. But uh, you have all the wars and everything, and the, and, and, and the Israeli security situation is always that, that, That's a fact. I would not want to be the Ramat Khal, the guy in charge of the Israeli army, all the rest of who has to deal with an unbelievable number of security ch- challenges, which aren't going away. I mean, Iran and this one, that and the other one, not going away. And sooner or later, Arabs are going to get a bomb. You know, that's, that's how it goes. We try to delay it as much as possible. It's a very scary world out there. And so all we're looking for is Mirgoa and, and Kafra Glein. And most of you're not going to get it. And finally, when things get really bad, you'll, you'll be seized with a constant terror, which of course happened, like I said before, in the in the 1940s by Hitler. But, you know, Baboker, Yomar, Mitin, Mitin, Boker. I mean, that's literally what they went through. Now, we don't have that now, uh, thank God, but uh, the Talchacha in Kisaba is sort of, you know, postulating, I guess, a paradigm in Jewish history, uh, because we've certainly seen that uh, sooner or later in the course of Jewish history, the Jews are scattered everywhere. Uh, they don't talk here in the Chumash about you know, going back to Israel, which is why no one's been able to figure out theologically how to not Israel works. This is why the Haredi world just doesn't know what to do with it. I'm not saying that to be funny. I'm, I'm saying it seriously, you know, like how exactly do you situate this? Uh, what's the framework? But um, this powerful stuff that Moshe is throwing over here. And all the individual Jew wants is Mirgoa, Manocha Kafraglion. No, they want a world without Davo Nefesh. We just want a world <laughs> without Chilion Enayim. And we can't get it. Because wherever it's been, uh, there eventually comes some sort of anti Semitic reaction. And by the time it's over, the Jews are, are, are leaving their country. Uh, right? Uh, now, it's possible to put a positive spin on anything. And classically, there are Mepharshim, I don't remember who, but I've seen this, who'll say, no, actually, it's good. It might even be a Chazal, by the way, uh, where it says, no, but going by him, because there won't be uh, ultimate acceptance and ease into the society, that will, that will um, what's the right word, that will problematize assimilation and lead to return to Judaism. That's true when it's true. Uh, you understand what I'm saying? There's a certain paradigm that goes like this. There's a Jew who's very assimilated, and then something happens to shock him, and then he returns, you know, uh, let's say, for example, I'm just making this up. Let's say, for example, he has a girlfriend, and then she starts cussing him as a damn Jew or something like that. It's the old model. I'm just making up something comes to mind. Uh, in reaction to that, he comes back to the Jewish people, right? And um, that's Theodore Herzl was like that, actually. You know, he saw the Dreyfus case and it drove him back into Judaism. Moshe Rabbeinu, according to one reading, is like that. He didn't know he was Jewish until, uh, you know, they saw what the, you know, the Egyptian taskmaster and the guy said, you know, me some Chalisha Shavet Aleinu. And next thing you know, he, he's with the Jewish people. Uh, we see this model. 
On the other hand, you know, and I know very well, there's a lot of carbonos. Many, many Jews today are so far gone. Uh, you know, they're not interested in the slightest. And if anti-Semitism rises, they don't feel the proper way to react to it is returning back to your Jewish roots. They just continue Viter and how they're going. So it's a very complex uh, kind of matter. But having said that, this part of the Tokhub is very striking, you understand? Now, uh, I'll say it again. The Israeli solution is the one we have today. And that's a push it either. Again, the uh, now you can say, oh, I guess we have our own country, we have an army and all the rest of it, which thank God they do. But I remember elsewhere in the Torah, oh, let's see over here. He says, Hey, if you don't repent, if you don't uh, act right, if you don't uh, keep the mitzvahs out of joy and all that business, then, um, you know, very interesting. Moshe Rabbeinu was saying, all this is going to befall you. It's a famous word. You've heard this before, not from me. Uh, that you didn't serve God, but uh, you served God, but it wasn't happily. Um you know, you went to Davin, you kept kosher, but weren't happy about it. You got to be happy about it. If you're not happy about it, I'll kill you. <laughs> it's an interesting expression. And if you go like, uh, I said this every year, if you go like Darizal, um, that's a tall order because I remember seeing this in the Chayyotim. He's got a uh, chapter called General Rules for Mitzvahs or something like that. At the end of the first section, I believe it is. General Rules for Mitzvahs. And one of them is every mitzvah has to be done by Simcha. And the quote to Ariza, I think it is, where he says, What does it mean? Takaza Shalbata Hashem Simcha Merov Kol? Simcha Tublov Tublevov Merov Kol? That's Nisri's Parsha. It means you have to be happier to do any mitzvah than for the biggest Hanna of Olam Hazef. Now, that's a nice phrase. It's easy for people to nod their head. But as I always say, be very honest with me. What's more important to you? Winning the Powerball lottery and getting $100, $200 million? Or Davi Mincha on Wednesday, you know? That's supposed to say, I'd rather Davi Mincha on Wednesday than win a billion dollars. You can say it. <laughs> you can say it. But it's a tall order. And uh, Moshe Aminu is, uh, you know, looking at the Jews in his time. Remember, this is a dying speech. And he's saying, ooh, you know, you better have Simcha Shomitz over there. Otherwise, it's not going to work. And, of course, he was absolutely right. So, uh, and he warns there, if you don't, then you'll be attacked in Israel itself. That's very scary. Until the downfall of all the things that you uh, place your reliance on, your high walls. So notice you live in Israel. In those days, they probably have physical walls or maybe uh, cultural walls, whatever. And you relied on them. And uh, you said, I can do whatever I want. Uh, they, these will never fall. And they did. Um, we know Israel's a big military, thank God. But uh, war is a tricky business. The slightest mess up turns everything upside down and leads to big defeats. This happens throughout history, including the Yom Kippur War, for example. You know, it, uh, it, it's, uh, it is what it is. So Parshish Kisov raises all kinds of questions, interesting questions. And it's before Rosh Hashanah because they say that the calendar is so organized that Tich Hashanah closed cell. You're supposed to read the Tocha before Rosh Hashanah comes around because in folklore way, that way helps a person say the clothes are behind me and now I'm making a new start. If you don't have a feeling of making a new start, it's hard to do Teshuvah. 
if you have a feeling of making a new start, that helps you tremendously and from a psychological perspective to change. And the whole point of two is to change. So, you know, technically speaking, even if he had no encouragement, a person should pull himself morally up by his bootstraps or her by her bootstraps. But life isn't like that. And those people are not such powerful, disciplined, self, uh, you know, directed people. You need something outside as a boost. And a feeling of his hatches, that helps a lot. Right? It does. This is what we have the, um, this is one of the reasons for Rosh Hashanah, you know? Um, because Rosh Hashanah is not in the Chumash in, in the open way, as we all know. You know, that's a classic question, isn't it? Like, where do you get Rosh Hashanah from? Yom Kippur, I understand. Yom Kippur is when God forgave the Jewish people after Moshe was up there for 40 days and 40 nights and gave the second tablet. That I understand. And Sukkot and, and Shavuos and the other things, put Shavuos aside. But Sukkot and Pesach, I understand. But what's Rosh Hashanah? You know? What's Rosh Hashanah? And was, where does, why is that a thing? You say, well, it's Yom Adin. Where you get that from? And if it is, why is it then? You know, it wasn't Yom Adin back in time of Moshe. He started on 40 days. He started on Moshkot and ended up in Yom Kippur. As far as we can tell, he went right through the first of Tishrei. It didn't mean anything. So that's just a good question. Uh, but I'll leave that alone for a second. To, um, calling our attention, as I say before, to fundamental questions of Jewish existence, including Golas and Geula, and particularly Israel and the Diaspora, Israel and the Gola. Uh, and you see that there are dangers in both Moshe Rabbeinu, not me, are calling attention to Tocha, the dangers in both. Israelis, you got to worry about Redes, Chomosel, Hagvos, Babatsuros, That's your problem. You uh, Chutzlarts people, you got to worry about I think it's fascinating because uh, living in Israel, although it's a supreme myth, is not the solution to everything. And uh, although we believe everybody should live in Israel. But then again, you know, why exactly? Why? Um, it's strange. I know these are strange questions, but I'm not doing it to be weird. Uh, I'll tell you exactly what I mean. Take, for example, the Rambam. The Rambam. So he talks in the end of the Mishnah Torah about what Mashiach time is going to be and the Jews will be in Israel and they have a Messianic king and everything will be great and even and this and that and the other. And so the Jews will live in, in Eretz Israel in their own country. There will even be peace in the Middle East, the Rambam says. That's his interpretation of the lion lying down with the lamb. He says, you know, don't believe in the... Uh, uh, what he called, um, in that there'll be uh, supernatural events or things like that, right? Uh, how's he put over here? Let me get this. It's very end of the Torah. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Don't think that anything will change in terms of science and nature. Oh yeah, chiddush, but my sabrachus be some new magic thing in nature. Olam kimanahogo noik. I it says begarzim keves. It says in the time of Mashiach, the lion will down, lie down with the lamb. You know, the lion will walk up to the lamb and leave it alone. Mashal Bechida, it's not a, a true. So what does it mean? What's the meaning of the Mashal? Shall Yisrael Yoshim Labetach in Rishay Ha'olam HaMashalim Bezei Benomer. Right? That uh, <laughs> there'll be peace in the Middle East. The state of Israel, the land of Israel will live in peace with the uh, Rishay Ha'olam, with the uh, wicked people of the land, meaning the people in the Middle East, HaMashalim Bezei Benomer. That's the lion and the and, and the uh, leopard, you know, 
I've always said uh, on many occasions, at least from my perspective today, I think <laughs> I think there's more of a chance for the lion lying down with the lamb than for peace to break out in the Middle East. But maybe I'm wrong. Look at the United Emirates. You know, who knows what's going on? But you can never tell in the future. But here's the point I'm trying to make. So what do you want in Israel for? So you say, what do you mean? Is it a Mitzvah of Israel? Jews should live in Israel. I get it. Why? What do you mean why? That's the end in itself. It's not exactly what the Ramam says. Now, he's not the only person, but I'm talking, I just came to my mind, and I opened up the Mishnah Torah, and he says very famously, at the end of, um, the very end of the whole Mishnah Torah, he says, why? 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 The Chachamim and the Nevi'im did not yearn for a messianic era, so that we should rule the world, right? So some people perhaps thought, see, the Muslims conquer the world and beat up all the people under them. So one day it'll be our turn, or the Christians. No, the Ram says that's not a Jewish hope. Isn't that interesting? Not a Jewish hope. When we envision a, a utopia, the Mashiach utopia, it's not we should rule the government should be our slaves. Nothing like that whatsoever. Not to bother anybody. And not that the Jews should be honored among other people, even though in our liturgy that we're about to read on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, you're going to say, this and that and the other. And, uh, you know, words like that. And doesn't say that the. In other words, we will be honored. I don't know, you know, whatever the words, it, it, it sounds like they will be honored. That's not the point. Because let's put it this way. Honor itself is like garnish. Not really, even though we all want honor, but we shouldn't. Because it's really nothing. Uh, and not to live a life of wine, women, and song. So then what do you want a Mashiach time for? You know what I'm saying? Suppose tomorrow, peace broke out in the Middle East and the state of Israel went from, <laughs> or something like that. Uh, then what? So some people say, this, well, that'd be fine. That itself is fine. Right? What's wrong with that? That itself is fine. That the Jews can live in a world free of anti-Semitism? That's all in is Genug. Right? That we should live in Eretz Yisrael and Kabbalah if we have a base of Migs. What more do you want? But Why? Why? What do you mean why? And by the way, the Rambam has a essay, a wonderful essay, called Intro to Perkhalik, where he rhetorically discusses these issues. He says, so, yeah, I remember this. He says, ask Jews out there, what is a, your, your uh, utopian goal? And some will say, wine, women, and song, and some will say, it's intellectual, and some will say, you know, just to live <laughs> without anti-Semitism, you take a Jew coming from the Holocaust, and you say, you live in a country where there's no anti-Semitism. Das is a utopia. That's not enough for the Rambam. There's got to be something higher than that. El but rather it said they'll live in a land of peace and prosperity, which will then mean that you will not have to work so much, and then you'll be able to devote penuyan They'll be able to devote themselves to intellectual pursuits, Torah pursuits, and nothing will prevent them from doing that. So let's put it this way. You know, they'll organize society in such a way that you don't have too much work. And if we do all your free time to learning, and the Rambam means learning in a deep way, 
uh, and not simply the uh, listen to what I'm telling you. He doesn't simply mean Bubba Kamba Mitzi and all that. But that's the first step. They take it something higher, and I don't mean like the Kitsos, something higher in the philosophical understanding of God that derives from the Gemara. So the point is, then you'll get Olam Haba in the sense that when you die, your your soul will, will be a higher level in heaven. And the time of Mashiach, the Rambam concludes, there'll be peace and prosperity. With great prosperity. And anything you need, even the luxuries, will be very common. So the Jews will have a lot of free time in their hands, and they will obviously devote it, he says, to Lodas Hashem, Bilvad. And they'll know all the deep things out there. And they'll understand as much of God as is possible. And is the goal. It's a very interesting and strange understanding of the Messianic hero. I mean, you can always say, what's wrong with that? Do you understand the question I'm raising? Which I thought of in the context of the Tochacha that Moshe is talking about over here. Ram is saying, and here's the problem with what he says. Ram is saying is the purpose of Yimosa Mashiach is so we get Eretz Yisrael and Eretz Yisrael in a context of peace and prosperity. And um, it means you won't have to work a lot. And therefore, you'll have free time on your hands. And with the free time on your hands, you'll be able to sit and learn. And he doesn't only mean, like I said before, learn. Uh, I hate to use these words, but you know. This nigla, but even nister. I don't mean the Kabbalah, because the Ramadan is not the Kabbalah, but nevertheless, the idea is behind the Kabbalah. You know, what, know more about God, think about God, uh, use your mind to uh, get better and clear ideas about God. Even though you never get there, but the goal is to engage in that. First of all, is it true that Jews with prosperity are going to say, oh, great, um, <laughs> now I have free time, I'm going to sit and learn. Uh, not so simple. Uh, what I'm trying to say is like this. If this is the truth, you could do it in America. You could do it in England. You could do it anywhere. Suppose you have the following situation. Um, I've said this before. Suppose a guy wins the the the, the, the big uh, the Powerball. Uh, I'm just making this up. And let's say he wins. No, they're crazy numbers. Let's say a guy wins three hundred million bucks. Okay, and you take home two hundred two hundred million. You don't have to work a day in your life. Never have to work again. Now let's say the guy says, "So oh, great, I don't have to work again." I learned in Lakewood, so I have a good over there. You know what I'm going to do? Uh, I'm going to move to Lakewood. And I'll sit and learn for the rest of my life. Money will not be a problem. Uh, what does he need Israel for? He's in a base madrash. Do you get the point I'm trying to say? And if he's really intellectually inclined, which is not so common, then you'll do the Mernavuchim stuff. And I, well, by that I mean you'll try to understand more intelligently the meaning of the word God and how to read the, the, the Torah properly. You know, what to take literal and not literal, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All those kind of Maimonidean things. And the idea is to have the better hasaga. Uh, so what is that you can do anywhere? What do you need to for that for? As I just said, the guy can do that. The guy I just described could do it in Velocity. He sure as heck can do it in Lakewood. Right? Or near Israel or something like that, if that's what you want. There, there's got to be something more than that. Um, which is why I say that Moshe is very interesting when he talks about Israel. He's talking about redes, chomoseo, chomoseo, agvos, vabetsuras, hashavah, tobotea, behen, 
But on the other hand, when he talks about chutzlars, it's the problem is about Hashem Elohim Achim So to me, I think these are problematic, uh, wonderfully po- problematic questions to raise and try to get at, you know, what's the deeper meaning of what Moshe is warning about in the Torah and how to relate it to our experience, our experience today. So if you want to have an intelligent, a little bit troubling, but intelligent conversation this coming Shabbos, I would suggest you uh, devote a little bit of attention to these themes, which are found, right, as I said, we're smack in the middle of the Torah. Uh, you know, and the, 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 the predictions are so bad that in the Gemara Megillah, they were debating, I remember, you know, should you read it, but see or not. Um, in our time, I mean, we've just seen this. You know, in the time of the, uh, the Mishnah, they had gone through some terrible times in Jewish history, but we've gone through some really bad times in Jewish history in the recent past. And the worst part about it, and this is the, the Daimon Nefesh and and I am, there are plenty of people who would like to do it again today. How many people think Hitler was a great guy? Honestly. And how many people say the Holocaust is a good move? This time, let's finish the, the deal. It's more and more of that all the time. Maybe you follow this. Maybe you don't follow this. But I sort of do. And I know what's going on out there. Hitler is a, a figure of fascination today. Hitler. In a way, there wasn't my time. Uh, even though the guy was a loser in the big you know, picture. I don't have the time to make that case now. But he's the one who lost him. Hitler is the one who lost Germany in the war. Policies actually turned out to be stupid. It's not the way these people are thinking, right? And it, 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 this fascination is growing. And uh, I don't know what the future is, you know. It's, uh, you know, to, for the Jews to think that there's any solution to what Moshe Rabbeinu is describing over here is just wrong. Um, the, I've, I always say... That the modern period, the last 200 years, have been um, characterized by isms. Now, each one of these isms has promised to solve the problem of anti-Semitism. I'm sure I said this before. And uh, and they can't. Uh, there was uh, reformism, you know, and uh, socialism, and uh, I don't know, you know, and also Zionism. Uh, the, the, the original plan of Zionism is to be a Jewish state, and all Jews to move there, and then there won't be any more anti-Semitism. As if we could solve it. It's not a solvable business. Most of is saying, you know, the situation is always fluid. Always. And, uh, you know, if a call, then it'll be okay. The minute you let go of that, it's going to go in the other direction. And so life turns out to be something that's the opposite of, uh, what should I say, a secure or static, but rather it's fluid. And uh, when you deal with fluid realities, either you can treat them you know, as uh, threats, or we can treat them as opportunities. Here we are before Rosh Hashanah. So in this time of the year, you're supposed to look at the f- essentially fluid nature of life uh, as kind of opportunities, because you have no choice. You never will get to a place in which you're secure. If the Jewish people or the other people got to a place which their mom is secure, if they got Manoch Lekafra Glechol, listen closely to this, they don't need God anymore. <laughs> I'm living here. I'm doing fine. The Arabs all dropped dead. Uh, we have peace and prosperity. But we don't need you. <laughs> We're doing fine. If we have any trouble, we'll call you. We won't bother you. Uh, that's the way a human being thinks. And that, of course, is the wrong way. There are God rigs things up that you're always going to need them. Anyway, that's just a few thoughts that occurred to me on uh, this part show, which we're going to be finishing this week uh, in order to get it out of the way before Rosh Hashanah.
Have a good Shabbos. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.